kitchen now. So we have flowers here um, and some candles. And uh, so at the end of the service, we'll make sure that every child here that is, can get to their mother today can take a flower with them. And if you need to take one and dry it and send it to it, then I guess that's what has to happen. <laughs> but these, are, these will be dispersed at the end of the service, these roses here. So, so I'm calling this part of the message as we're going through Exodus. I was just, I'm calling it Hope Awakened. And if you will remember, we had Moses at the burning bush and he's receiving from the Lord the instruction of what he is to do. And then he actually meets Aaron. Finally, they're going back to his people. I want to pick it up there. So we're going to start in, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, um, verse 28. It's where we're going to start, and we're going to be reading that. And um, actually, we will be reading through several other sections of the scripture here. So we'll go through chapter 5 as well. But So we're starting in Exodus chapter 4, verse 28. And it says, so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. All right. So just a bit of reminder here. We have Moses by the burning bush. And the Lord says, I want you to go do these signs to, for Pharaoh. I want you to go say these words to Pharaoh. I want you to go do this. And if this sign doesn't work, we'll do this other sign. And if that sign doesn't work, we'll do... So he, was, he explained the whole scenario. Well, so now we show up and Moses and Aaron come. And instead of running to the house of Pharaoh and giving the words that had been spoken and doing the signs, they actually gather all the people, the children of Israel. Now, what's fascinating about this is I, don't, I didn't see the part where God instructed them to do this. And so as I was reading this, and I kept reading over it the past couple of weeks going, why is it that when Moses says, you go and you take this to Pharaoh, then first of all, Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. Can you pick someone else? And it says that God was was somewhat angry with him and said, okay, fine, I'll use Aaron. And so then he takes Aaron and he tells Aaron everything. So he gives the whole instruction to Aaron. And so then Moses and Aaron together, instead of going to Pharaoh right away, they get together all the children of Israel. They had, and it says, uh, verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. So it's the elders of the children of Israel. And they bring them together and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And so it seems that Aaron himself is actually doing the signs for the people. So my question when I read through this, because when we are given scripture, there's everything in here is given to us for, our, for us to either learn from, to learn and emulate to that or it instructs us but in some way all of this applies to us everything in the bible applies to us in some way 
Sometimes we read it and say, wow, that was a really bad decision that guy made. Don't ever do it that way. And so that's how we learn. We, we read that and say, wow, he disobeyed God. Let's not do that. If you read through the kings of the Israel, you will discover quite a bit of that actually, where you're like, okay, I don't want to ever disobey God. I, want to, I don't, do not want to forget God. I do not want to bring in other gods and worship them instead and pretend that I'm worshiping God. I want to only worship the one true God. So that's what you learn when you go through the kings, because some of them didn't do that. And you see the various judgments that happened. So you see this throughout the Bible. There's times when God is speaking directly to us. Think the words of Jesus. There's times when there is a, an account being given to us and it says, and this is why this is for, and it explains to us what we're supposed to learn from this. But then you have these moments like this where it's just explaining what happened in a consecutive event. And we know that Moses is in the, in Hebrews, he is in the hall of faith. God speaks highly of Moses in other parts of scripture. And so we know that Moses is a righteous man, even though he angers God a few times, a few, a few issues that he has. And so as we're looking at Moses at this point in his life, there is something to learn from this. And I was trying to understand what I'm supposed to learn from Moses at this point. God said, go do, say these things, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then You've got your rod, throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. You're going to pick it back up again. It's going to turn into a rod. And then you're going to, to um, he had the whole sign where he put his hand inside his clothing and came back out with leprosy. And then he puts it back inside and it turns back healthy again. And then he had the part where he pour, uh, gets water and pours it out and it turns into blood. And so those were his three signs that he was given. And then at the end of the instruction, God had said, now Pharaoh will not obey. He will not give in. He's going to be, he's going to harden his heart. And I am going to have to do a lot more before he ever listens to you. So this sets up the time and this sets up the question, what is going on here? Why did they go first to the children of Israel? So that's the question at the beginning. And I want to come back to that question in a little bit, but let's go, let's keep reading now in chapter five. And I, I tried to figure out a way to just skip through it, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. So we're going to, go to Exodus chapter five, verse one. It says afterward, so after they have gone to the children of Israel, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So this is, this is phenomenal to me that, that when they come to him, they say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know who that is. And if you go back and you look at all the different gods that Pharaoh had to choose from, he's in his mind, he's literally going, okay, I've heard of this God and this God, and you know, you've got the gods of the Nile, you've got the frog gods, you've got all the different gods that the ancient Egyptians were worshiping. And he's going through the list and says, I don't even know which God you're talking about. No, not going to do that. And he just flat out refused him. First thing that struck out to me as I'm reading this is they just said this, and then we don't even read. Uh, well, let's continue reading. Verse three. Verse three, it says, so they, Moses and Aaron said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. 
So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. So the instruction from Pharaoh says, uh, Moses and Aaron, you're actually making the people lazy and they're not getting as much work done because they've been listening to you. So not only do you all need to go get back to work, but I'm going to make it harder. Instead of providing everything to do the work and the labor, you're going to have to go get your own straw. And what fascinated me about reading through here is Moses and Aaron come up, they speak to Pharaoh, they give the words, they don't get to the signs. They don't do any of the signs at this point. So they went to the elders of the children of Israel. They spoke all the words, what God had said. They said, basically, and to the children of Israel, it was like, remember, remember the prophecy that Abraham had that we were going to come out of Egypt and that we were going to be free again? Remember that prophecy? Well, it's coming now. It's about to happen. And so there was a certain level of hope that is being awakened inside the children of Israel. Then they go to Pharaoh. Here comes Moses and Aaron, they come into Pharaoh's office or you know, into the court there. And as they speak the words, Pharaoh has no regard for them at all. Just literally says, I don't know your God. I don't know. I don't, I don't like him at all anyway. And so I'm, no, I'm not going to do that. And so they try one more time. They give one more, they give one more effort to say something. And he's like, no, you're, you're making the people lazy. They're supposed to be working and they're not. And so finally he gives this extra burden of work on, on everyone. And it says in verse 13, the taskmasters forced them to hurry. Uh, actually, let's go back to verse 10. That's where I left off. Verse 10, and the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. So now the taskmasters are the Egyptians. The officers are the leaders from amongst the, the, the Hebrews. So the Israelite leaders, they have officers that are working with the taskmasters. So the taskmasters are telling the Hebrews through the, through the officers what to do. And so they go out to the people and say, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Verse 11, go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he, Pharaoh, said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
Verse 22, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his hand, out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so it takes some time uh, out now to talk about the various, uh, the family lineage lines. But if you jump down to verse 28, it says, It came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell, tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the, in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that, my, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians, I shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them, then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then it goes on into Aaron's rod. And when they go back and do the signs, uh, then it goes right into the plagues. But I wanted to read that whole section to, to set a few things in place. First of all, we have Moses and Aaron, they're coming back. For reasons unknown to us, they go to Pharaoh's court first. They, go into Pharaoh, uh, they don't go to Pharaoh's court first. They go into the children of Israel. They bring together the elders, the leaders of Israel, and they say, this is what the Lord has spoken to us. The children of Israel believe, the people believe, which in, if you think about what it says in Hebrews 11, it says that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so we have this hope that is suddenly awakened. Now, the children of Israel have always known that there is a prophecy, that, that, that God has spoken to Abraham. They've always known that. The problem is when, how, 
When is it going to happen? Right now we're in Egypt. We're struggling in Egypt. We're serving in Egypt. And as long as our officers are able to communicate well with the taskmasters, we can kind of have an uneasy peace here. We can keep going. We keep building pyramids and bricks and other things for the Egyptians. We can keep moving forward as long as we keep it peaceful. But, but don't mess with that balance because, I mean, they have memories by now. You know, I mean, the fact that Moses was born at a time when the king was not pleased, when Pharaoh was not pleased and they were trying to kill the children. You know, it said there at the end of that chapter I just read, that, or the section I just read, that Aaron was three years older than Moses. That means that somewhere in a three-year time frame, it went from the children of Israel can have children with no problems to suddenly let's try to kill the children by the time Moses came along. And it didn't continue forever, but there was a season where they were trying to kill the children, where Pharaoh was trying to kill the boys. And so the children of Israel now for quite a while have been stuck with the, just the, 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 the evil caprices of whatever the Pharaoh wants to do. So if the Pharaoh decides to do this, they have to deal with it. If the Pharaoh decides to be kinder, they get the blessing of that. But they're, they're totally at the mercy of the Pharaoh. So you and I in the United States, we don't actually fully understand this because we can have different leaders in office and they can be like Pharaoh and say, I don't love God. I'm not going to obey him. But we continue to love God and obey him. Every so often, there's some law that comes through that directly affects us. But most of the time, the laws come through and they are only there and they give freedom to people or like right now with the whole abortion issue where, where people can kill their babies and it can still happen, but we're not being forced to kill babies. So there's a difference here. And so, so I want to understand that as much as we don't like it when one of our governors or presidents says, I don't love God and I'm not going to obey him, and maybe not in so many words, but they, they will say that, it's not quite the same as when the Pharaoh says, and not only that, here's what's going to happen to you. And so they're bringing it home. So occasionally you will feel like when, when, when the whole catalytic converter event happened in my life and my catalytic converter got stolen, suddenly I realized that the law they had made in Denver was impacting everyone in Colorado and it was going to cost me an extra $1,000. And the, the, the thief isn't going to pay more. He just came in and got his whatever he got out of that thing. And I have to pay over $2,000 for a catalytic converter that if I was able to just drive over into another state, I could get for half the price. And so suddenly the law comes home to my house and I'm like, okay, this is awful. I don't like this. This is not cool. And so I'm talking about that level of if, if, if the laws of the land start impacting you every single day with everything. And to some extent they do, but for much of of your lifespan, your morality is not determined by someone else in office. You're able to choose to follow God. You're able to worship him. You're able to, to actually live a life that is pleasing to God. And there isn't someone coming along saying, hey, you may not do this thing. You may not serve the Lord. Occasionally, there's little infringements coming in. And, and in America, uh, I mean, you would think at the moment it happens here, we think, well, the end is now here because it's, and yet in other countries right now, there are leaders that are, that are specifically outlawing um, Christianity where it's just not, you, you're not allowed to be a Christian. Uh, I think of that, I can't remember the guy's name, but it, it's happened to multiple different leaders 
of, from America when they go to like say China and they meet with house church leaders and they're sitting there and they're talking and suddenly it kind of occurs to them, wait a minute, in China this is illegal. So like what would happen to you Chinese leaders if um, we were discovered? And they would be like, oh, they would deport you within 24 hours and we would go to jail for three years. And, and that's just, that's, they know that. And so, okay, well, how many of you have been in jail before? And most of them raise their hand because it happens if they get discovered, they're, they're going to go to jail. That's just how it works because it's illegal to be a Christian without, unless you're in the proper state church that they control what you say. They don't want the Bible to be read as the Bible. They want to control what it says. And so there is a, there is a very real reality in this world that there are times when when the, what the governor says, what the president says, what the king says, is going to directly impact us in such a way that it makes it almost impossible for us to worship God. Now, what's interesting about this moment in Israel's history is Pharaoh isn't saying, I don't want you to worship your Lord, your God here. I'm okay with that. He's not even saying, I, you have to worship this particular God, which is what the, the Roman government was, was wanting the early Christians to go and offer incense to, some, to either Caesar or to one of the other gods just to prove that they're normal and they're not, uh, as they said, atheists. Because by saying, by only claiming to serve one God, the Romans said, well, you're being atheist because they wanted them to worship many gods and to be willing to, to. so it was a weird time for, for the early Christians because if they could just go down to some of the pagan gods and offer a little bit of incense, then they would be okay. But they weren't, they was like, no, I'm only going to worship God, the one true God. And, the, and so, so there are times when this happens, but it's not happening right here. Right here with the children of Israel, Pharaoh isn't saying, I don't want you to worship God at all. He just says, I don't want you to go three days in the wilderness to worship God. I don't want you to take time off to go worship your God. Just, you know, just stop that business. And he's not saying you have to worship one of the gods of, of Egypt. He's not saying that. He just says, I don't know who your God is and I don't even care. I don't love him. I'm not going to obey him. I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, keep making break, but now he's upset with them. So he makes their life hard. So this, this to me felt more like a catalytic converter type thing where suddenly it's getting harder, but it's not quite the issue of, I will worship God. I will not do this. They're like, well, we're here. We're supposed to be making brick and we don't have straw. And so they're trying to figure this out. But think about this. Aaron and Moses, they show up, they bring in everyone, and they say, listen, our prayers have been heard. We are leaving Egypt. And so at that point, they could have all said, well, good, let's pack up and go. And they probably could have left. I'm not sure what would have happened. Pharaoh would have probably come out with his armies. There would probably been some, somebody would have died. Some kind of a standoff would have happened. I'm not sure what would have happened exactly. But they have what they understand as their responsibilities within their ecosystem as strangers in Egypt. So they have responsibilities. So this would be the thing where if you know, you're coming to Jesus and someone comes and says, listen, if you pray and you ask Christ to forgive you, you will be free and free indeed. And you pray and you're like, praise God, I don't have to pay taxes anymore because I'm free in Jesus. And then someone says, well, actually like, there, that's a different issue. Like that's, 
Uh, I mean, you are free. That's true. But like, um, and, and so it's, it feels a little bit like that. They, for whatever reason, however they got into the scenario, this is the expectation that their host country has of the children of Israel. And so they're being asked to build bricks. They're building lots of structure and they're in this place. And then God says, it's about time for you to go home to your own country back in Canaan. So this is exciting. It says the people believed. So then finally Moses and Aaron, they head up to talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, I don't care. No. And I'm going to make life miserable for you. And so away, here we go. And then right as the, the officers of the children of Israel are being beaten because they have not fulfilled the quota of the day, which means that this is now a good day, maybe a day and a half, at least time has elapsed between the time when they spoke to Pharaoh and, 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 and Moses and Aaron are trying to figure out what to do next. And the children and the officers are being beaten. And as they come out from, they go and they talk to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, please, like, don't you see who we are? You've talked with us before. We've talked to your, to, to your taskmasters. You know who we are. We're good people. We're good citizens in your community. Can't you be kind to us? Don't you see what's happening to us? And Pharaoh is on a, he's on a trajectory now. He doesn't care. He's like, no, I don't care. No, go make brick and I'm not giving you straw. And so they come out from that meeting and they're just sort of realizing this is because of what Moses and Aaron told us the other day. We're being beat up by the world because we were believing in what God had said and that there was hope for the future and that we were not, we're not citizens of Egypt, but we're citizens of that other country and we're going to be leaving. We are, this is happening because of what they said. And right as they're thinking about that, they walk out and they're kind of talking to each other about it and there stand Moses and Aaron. Now, the officers of Israel look up and they see Moses and Aaron and they have reason I mean, they've just been beaten and they've just tried to talk with Pharaoh about it and they get nowhere with it. And so they, they literally say, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so they're taking it extremely. So now at this moment, the officers of Israel, they're not filled with hope and faith anymore. They had been given a moment earlier where they believed and they were hopeful they were thinking, yay, Canaan land. We're going to be back in our own country. We're going to serve our own gods. We're going to build our own houses. We won't be slaving in Egypt anymore. We're going to be free. And then immediately when they went to work the next day, things got worse and worse. And now they see Moses and Aaron and they say, you did this to us. And so I wanted to think through this. So first of all, Moses and Aaron went to the people of Israel first, and they believed. Then they went to Pharaoh second. He did not believe. Israel's faith was stirred first. Hope was awakened in them. Pharaoh's hardened heart that was coming, that God had said that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. Pharaoh's hardened heart was going to require a lot of hope. In order for Moses to keep going, in order for the children of Israel to not just kill Moses and say, stop bothering us. There was, there was going, they needed a bit of hope. And so the, the amazing thing about hope is that once hope has been awakened in a human heart for 
anything, whether it's, I mean, you know, sometimes it's the hope of, of um, some, you know, let's say you're driving a car and you want a newer car, a more dependable car, and you, you think you've got it figured out and you get excited about it and then it's thwarted and you can't actually do it and you can't, and, you, and then your car breaks down and you have to fix it again and that takes up the money. That you, and so, you, but at this point, you had already maybe took that other car for a test drive. So you already test drove hope. So you know that it's possible, but you're trying to figure out, and then it gets worse, and you're like, oh. So even when it seems that all hope is lost, hope is such an elusive thing, the way it plays in our hearts, that once we've tasted it, it never quite dies. It gets very close. We can feel like it's dead. It can be horrible. The, the, the vision that we had can be completely dead all around us. We can be running all across around Egypt trying to scrape together enough stubble to put straw on the bricks to accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish. And it just seems like it's the worst of the worst. We're getting beaten by the world and, and the very people that we were hoping would hear the words of God, like our leaders and such, they're not hearing the words of God. They say they don't care about God. And so, it get, so hope can go dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, but the, it's such an elusive thing. It reminds me of like mercury when you, if you try to touch it, it's always somewhere else. It's like, it's never quite there. And so when, when Pharaoh is trying to kill the hope that's in the children of Israel because of the words that were spoken by Moses and Aaron, he can't quite ever do it. He makes their life miserable. He makes it very difficult for them. But even though his heart is hardened, they still have hope. So what I wanted to look at specifically was how the children of Israel, as they're looking at the potential that we can leave, but then they're dealing with the reality of what's happening right now, and that, those are two very different things. When they think about leaving, that's hope. When they think about staying, that's despair. And yet they're happening at the same time. They see Moses and Aaron, and, and, and Moses and Aaron come back and say, look, we're gonna go back and talk to Moses, and here's what we're gonna say. And they say, didn't work out so well last time. And so even as they are despairing and it says they don't heed the words of Moses and Aaron, I don't want to be too critical of where they were because it literally says that they, uh, let's see, the word is, okay, it was in, I just read it a minute ago and now I can't find the spot where they came and spoke to him and they actually did not heed because, oh, here it is, verse, uh, Exodus chapter six, verse nine, it says, Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. All right, anguish of spirit, cruel bondage. Most of us have at some point in our life experienced some anguish in our spirits. Some of us have had some very cruel bondage, and cruel bondage doesn't have to come to us because of external things. We can be internally bound, whether by the force of habit of our, when our own the addictions in our own brains that are addicted to certain things can actually be a cruel bondage whether it is a relationship that's gone awry and we don't know how to come out of it and what to do, it can be a cruel bondage. Whether it is uh, actually something that we're doing with our life and we have committed ourselves to it and now it's a cruel bondage, but we don't know how to come out of it. Most of us have experienced some anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So the children of Israel are in that position where 
they're hearing that Moses and Aaron are talking, but they're going, we, we have to find this many tons of stubble tomorrow. Where are we going to go find this straw? And, and so Moses and Aaron are saying, don't you care about the things of God? Don't you care what God is saying? And they're going, stubble, stubble, straw. We've got to find stubble and straw. And they're under cruel bondage, anguish of spirit, and they're not hearing. And so I don't want to be too hard on them because I think we are them. We are in that boat a lot of times where, where we've heard the word of God. And what is the word of God? Christ comes to us. He awakens hope in us. He, he calls us to, and at the very beginning, think about the very first time you heard the gospel. You hear of the hope, not only of heaven, but a hope of peace, peace in your heart, to not be troubled, to not have a guilty conscience, to not be struggling with all the th- things of the world, that you can actually have victory over sin. And this sounds wonderful. And then you look at the reality of what is your life. And then the the taskmasters of the world come in and say, yes, yes, yes. But what about this? And what about this? And oh, we're not going to provide straw for you. You've got to build your own stuff. Come on, come on. What are we going to do? And so you have these noises happening in your mind. And so in 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 a literal, in a figurative sense, you are at the point where you had hope because you heard the gospel, but you're not experiencing it because the bondage is difficult. And so you get to a place of anguish. And so then we finally come to a point where we're driven to our knees at the cross. We cry out for mercy. We experience the peace of God in our heart. And we're so excited because, and I remember this very clearly thinking, I am not guilty. Before God, I'm not guilty anymore. And I am now free. And one day I will be in heaven with Jesus. That's going to be awesome. And I'm thinking, this is so good. And then life continues to happen. And I still wake up in the same house. I'm still interacting with the same people day by day. These are the same people that I was irritated and frustrated with, people that I was accustomed to being angry with. I had habits with these people. And suddenly, even though there was a change in my heart, now I still had to live here on earth with people. And as that continued, the hope of heaven, the excitement of that first promise, the excitement of that being made new in Christ, suddenly that kind of wears away and I am stuck feeling as if I'm still in bondage. But I've believed. And then I remember after I was baptized, I was thinking, okay, now that has sealed the deal. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to serve him all the days of my life. And I remember the joy that I had the day I was baptized. And then I remember within a, you know, I don't remember exactly all of the scenarios, but within a couple of months, there was a relationship, um, just, just another, like, a person, and I didn't get along with them well. And I was thinking, why am I not able to bring that heavenly peace into this relationship? Why won't they hear what I have to say? And, and I still, it was partly because of the brokenness of the world that I was in. So think of the children of Israel. They've heard the word of God saying, you're going to go to Canaan. But even here, while after they've heard the word, they're still in Egypt. And that's where I was. And so we will look at the larger picture of the children of Israel with what it means when they come into the wilderness and cross to the Red Sea, what it means when they cross the Jordan. But this is a very good example of how God interacts with us on a daily basis. For most of us, there is a time when the word comes and hope is awakened. We hear hope. You can be free from sin. You can be free from addictions. You can be free from fear. You can be free from anxiety and worry. You can be victorious in your Christian faith. And we think this is hope. Maybe what we hear is, I don't have to go to hell. I can escape hell and I can gain heaven. And we have hope. 
We hear this. And then what happens the moment we hear it is that the taskmasters of the world come in and they buckle down on us and it gets worse. It's harder. It's, it's, it's just, why isn't it all just cleared away immediately? And there is a reason for this. You see, if Moses and Aaron would have just walked straight up to Pharaoh's house, bypassed the, the entire Hebrew camp, the Israelites wouldn't even have known that Moses and Aaron were here. And they would have just walked in and said, let my people go. And they would have done the signs and the signs would not have been enough. And so they would have gone on with, with time after time after time with all the, the, the 10 plagues and everything. The children of Israel have been sitting over there going, what in the world is happening in Egypt? What is this? Like what's going, like this is, we don't know what's happening. God wanted to deliver the children of Israel and in the same way that he wants to deliver us, he wants us to know that we're being delivered. He wants us to see the process that's happening. When the signs and wonders come, it's not about Pharaoh. Pharaoh is gonna die in the Red Sea. God is not going, here Pharaoh, I want you to see this. God is saying, children of Israel, I am your God and I want you to follow me all the days of your life and I want you to see this sign. Look, look what's about to happen. So Moses and Aaron go to the children of Israel first so that they're clued in, so that they're watching. And so sometimes in our own struggle of our own life, we, we get tired and we say, why do I have to go through this struggle? Why am I in this trial? Well, it's there because with the promise we're suddenly made keenly aware of the struggle. You see, if on a normal day, the officials, the officers, the children of Israel would have gone down and taskmasters would have been like, okay, no more straw, get with it. They would have been like, okay, this happens every you know, couple, five years, every three years, whatever. The, the, something goes nuts up in Pharaoh's house and we just have to deal with it. Don't worry, in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, it'll settle back down. We'll be back at to normal and Pharaoh will be taking care of us as before. Things will go back to normal. So let's just hang in there, do the best we can. It's gonna be okay. But that's not what happened because it wasn't a normal day. This was the day after they had been told we're gonna be free. We're leaving. The promise that God gave to Abraham is being fulfilled. We're out of Egypt. We're headed to Canaan land. And so they had hope. They had excitement. They believed. And then the taskmaster said, okay, enough. And they said, oh, this is a direct result of that. And this will happen. See, if you're just going along in your life and you know, bad things happen, you have a flat tire, you have this, you have that. But then you come to Jesus and I, I felt it this trip, this last trip on our, in our RV, as we're going, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I have been given an understanding of what my job is to do within the kingdom, and I'm wanting to please the Lord. So we're praying, we're thanking God that he's given us something to do for the kingdom. We're going for these interviews and stuff, and then the spark plug blows, and this happens, and that happens. And, and every time something happens, instead of just going, well, yeah, it happens, we're like, we're being attacked. We're trying to serve God and the world doesn't like it. The spirit of the world doesn't like this and it's fighting back. The brokenness of the world is not just broken, it's, it's the enemy. And so this is what happens as, as believers. Before we come to Christ, if we have a flat tire or this or that happens, we're just like, yeah, that's what happens. It happens to all of us. But the, after we come to Christ and we submit our life to him and then it starts happening, we go, wait a minute, is this an attack? Is this the enemy? And the reality of it is, is that ever since the Garden of Eden, when we sinned, 
there has been a brokenness in the world that fights against the kingdom of God. And so we will feel it more keenly after we belong to the kingdom. When we switch allegiances from following the, 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 the kings of this world and we start following Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven, we will feel it so keenly, the brokenness of the world, the trials, the things that come, and everything that comes along hurts just a little bit more because we have hope of a land and a place and a time where it will be, there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow. And so the, the scripture that we read this morning that talked about heaven, I think of that, 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 is so, that is such a beautiful thing. And that's why we've been given revelation. That's why we can go and read the account of what that will be like is because it's a beautiful time. So we're given trials. We've been given promise. We've been given a sign. Hope is stirred. Hope is born. Hope is lit within us. And then the trials go deeper. And does it die? No, hope does not die. Hope when you're trying to kill it, like I said, it's a very elusive thing to kill once it has been stirred. So the difficulties, as difficulties are overcome, it seems greater difficulties come along the way, but hope is awakened and we continue. And so you see eventually the children of Israel show up in the promised land. You see Moses and Aaron taking them over there. We see, we see all of that play out in the next number of chapters. There's other types and shadows of, of our own, you know, there's illustration. When I watch Lord of the Rings, there's certain things I'm like, well, there's spiritual significance in how that story played out. Um, I know that he wasn't writing it necessarily for spiritual significance, but anytime you see a struggle between good and evil, there's, there's illustrations in there that help you understand your own battle. Uh, I remember thinking when I was reading through the Wingfeather saga, when Janner ends up at the fork factory and he sees Sarah Cobbler for the first time and there's something in her eyes that awakens hope in him. And then he acts according to the hope that is in him and escapes the impossible fork factory. And as he's escaping out of there, Sarah sees him escaping. Actually, he's trying to get Sarah to come with her, but Sarah sees him escaping. And as he goes, and he's gone then, for the next season, all that Sarah can think of is the hope that someone escaped from this place. Surely I can escape too. Hope had been awakened. And eventually she did escape at the time that the town was being freed. We see this with uh, Abraham, you know, in, uh, there's this, this illust- the passage in Romans, we'll read it in a minute, Romans chapter four. But Abraham is in a place where he has no children. Now that's not that big of a deal. He doesn't have any children. It is a problem. He would like to have an heir. He's thinking his servant will be an heir. It's, this is similar to like the bondage that the Israelites are in. They're in bondage, but okay, they're in bondage. Well, he has no children. Well, then comes the day that God comes along and says, through your seed, through your generations, that's, those will be my people. And Abraham says, I don't even have a son. How is this even going to happen? And up until he had the promise of God, the fact that he didn't have a son wasn't too bad. He could serve God. He could do what he was doing. It was okay. But the moment that he realizes, wait a minute, I'm supposed to have a son and I don't have a son, suddenly everything got, felt darker. So he's trying to work it out. So we find in Romans chapter four, 
the memory, looking back on Abraham as he walked through this, and I think we can apply this in a similar way to the children of Israel and to our own lives. So Romans chapter 4, it says, uh, so starting in verse 17, Romans chapter 4, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, talking about God, he was also able to perform. So the fact that it looks back at the story of Abraham and says, Abraham did not waver. We read the account and we say, oh, but it seems as if he wavered because first he was like, well, maybe I need to have a child instead of with Sarah. Maybe I'll have a son with, with Hagar. And he does all of that and Ishmael is born and we have centuries of, of, of conflict in the Middle East because of that family situation. And it continues on and eventually God says, no, I want you and Sarah. That's the, the child that's born from you two. That is the child of promise. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. And so we read through Genesis and it seems to us that Abraham wavered. It seems to us that Abraham moved back and forth and was like, maybe this, maybe that. But it says that he, his faith did not waver, that he hoped against hope. And so think about the children of Israel. God promised that he was going to bring them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And the account of scripture is that God brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and that the children of Israel actually came out. When we read the account, we see that there, was, there were times when they did not heed Moses and Aaron. They didn't listen because of anguish of spirit and because of, the, of, of everything they were feeling and, and dealing with. We see in the wilderness, there were times when they're going, how are we going to feed our children? What are we going to do? We're out of water. We're out of food. We see them complaining. And we say, ah, oh, those Israelites, why were they so full of complaints? Well, so are we. We're so full of complaints. We're so full of doubt. When, when we hear the word of God, it's so glorious and beautiful. And then we get into the trial. We get into the heat of it. And suddenly the word of God is still speaking. We still have our Bibles. We still have our friends. But we can't hear it because of anguish of spirit, because of the brokenness that's in the world around us. We are not able to hear it. And so we look at them and we say, yeah, they should have really listened to God. They should not have wavered like they did. But what if this is how faith works? What if God is the one who doesn't ever change and doesn't ever waver and he continues steadfast from the time of the promise to the time of the fulfillment, from the time the prophecy is given until it's fulfilled, from the time that Eve was told that you're the, seed of one of, the seed of the woman, one of your children is going to crush the heel of the serpent until that time when we all stand before him and the death is put Death itself is put to death for the last time. What if when all of that plays out, what if this is God's way of doing it? What if he never expected us to not waver a little bit, to not have some struggles? Because we all experience this where we're like, yes, I heard the word of God and I believed. And then what happened? Well, trials came and I wasn't certain. Okay, and so in your uncertainty, what happened next? Well, God was still faithful. He continued on. He was still right. And so I, I came back. I had to 
repent. I had to ask him to forgive me multiple times. But every time that I found myself wandering in the wilderness or questioning or being beaten by the world as Pharaoh and his taskmasters were beating the children of Israel, every time out of that, I'd come back and eventually I'd say, oh yes, God is still on the throne. His hand is still powerful. His arm is still outstretched. He can still deliver his people. And so even though I was discouraged and, you know, with, with, uh, I just, you can talk to Stacy about it. I mean, the morning that I was counting the cost of what all could possibly go wrong with the engine in the RV, I mean, I was quite discouraged. I'm thinking, can I find someone in Kansas City? Can I, how long will it take to replace an engine in an RV? Like, I'm thinking all of this through. I'm thinking, well, there goes the emergency fund. Well, that's what the emergency fund is for, but there it goes, you know? And so, so I'm thinking through all of that, and I'm thinking, why? And yet, when we prayed, and then I just very delicately threaded that spark plug back in and I stopped and I started the engine and I counted the threads. I went one more thread, started the engine again. Everything's fine. It's not missing. And every time we kept driving, I was thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for an engine that's working at full power that's not missing. And, it's, and I was just so grateful. And so as I was thinking through what that means for us, it's like this. I do not realize how powerful the, the, the outstretched arm of God is. Like when they finally got to the Red Sea and crossed out, if they would have just, on the day that Moses and Aaron showed up and said, hey, we're leaving, everyone packed their bags and they were out of there, they would have missed the beauty of the Passover. They would have gotten to the Red Sea and then like, okay, what happens now? Moses would be like, okay, this, water split and they go through, it would not have been as big of a miracle had they not been under as much stress as they were. So the brokenness of the world itself helped to illustrate how faithful and true and beautiful the deliverance of God is. And that is part of our Christian experience. It says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there was a time when I didn't know that. I didn't know I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I didn't understand how much I needed Jesus. But after a while, I'm looking at myself and I hear about the perfection of Christ and I'm thinking about heaven and I'm longing for heaven, but I look at myself and I say, there's no way. And so at first I had to see the brokenness so that when Jesus saved me, I recognized just how well he saved me and how completely he saved me. When I'm praying for something, it helps when I, when I have the, you know, because I have this this vision, then the RV is just figuring big because we came back from the trip. But I remember, you know, a year and a half ago thinking, well, if we had an RV, then every time we needed to go anywhere, we'd just load stuff in it. We'd take off, we'd go, we could sleep. It would be awesome. But so every time now that anything doesn't work on the RV, it is not quite measuring up to that vision that I had. And so every time it does work now after not working, I'm so grateful because it's working the way it's supposed to work and it's awesome. And so when, when, when we can actually have hot water in the shower, when actually everything's working, that's awesome. Well, that's a small taste of what I'm talking about spiritually is that we are called because we hear the word of God and the prophecies that are in the Bible it, they are, it's extremely 
far-reaching and it goes from creation all the way to that day when we stand in his presence at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a huge span. And the prophecy of God and the promises of God are true and faithful, but they apply to every bit of our life from the time we're born. You know, it says that we are knit together in our mother's womb. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That is God's design and God's plan. And so we have this, we see this over and over, the beauty of God's plan, what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. And then at the same time, because we're still, as it were, in Egypt, we also see the brokenness of the world. We also see the taskmasters of the world flogging us and beating us and demanding something of us. And we think, when can I be free from that? When can I be free from the taskmasters of Egypt? And so right now, as God is working in Egypt, in in Israel's life, the children of Israel are developing a very, very healthy sense of despair about Egypt and thinking this is never going to work here. We've got to get out and God's promise is true. We've got to follow him and it's over there that our hope lies. And so that the despair that seems so hard is actually driving them toward the hope that is in the Lord. And for us right now, as we live in this world, we see the brokenness around us and it it reminds us that we are not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. We were born here but we were born for him, for his presence. Things here are broken. Things here are wearisome. Things here are tiresome. And we're not going to just immediately eject and be in his presence. We're here for a season and a purpose. And God himself has some things he wants to show us. He wants us to see the outstretched arm. He wants us to see the miracles. He wants us to see when he's doing these plagues and other stuff and he's speaking and Moses speaks and Aaron does things and suddenly the plagues happen and God moves and Pharaoh's going, wow, that's way more than what my magicians can do. When we get to that point, the children of Israel are watching too. And who's it for? It's for the children of Israel. Pharaoh's gonna die in the Red Sea. He's hardening his heart every step of the way. His, his soldiers are gonna die in the Red Sea. If there is any Egyptian that believes and follows, we don't know that. We've not been told that. But what we do see is that God is wanting to show his children his power and his mercy and his capableness. He is able to deliver us. So as you look around the world and you see the brokenness that's around, keep that in mind. God was not surprised that the world is broken. When you were born into a broken world, God didn't say, oh no, another one born in here? I'm helpless, I can't help this person. No, he knows. He knows where we've been born. He knows the addictions. He knows the bondage. He knows the brokenness. And what I didn't understand for the longest time was when it says in Romans 12 that I should renew my mind and be transformed, I was thinking, oh, that's great. I'll read the word of God and I'll keep all this. But I didn't understand how much my own brain would get addicted to patterns that were destructive. So even if I wasn't doing drugs, even if I wasn't doing other things that I considered as addictions, my own brain would betray me by wanting to do negative patterns over and over and over. And if you've ever been stuck in a circle of fear, you know what I'm talking about. That's, a, that's an addiction. It's a strange addiction, but it's an addiction. And so the fact that we can be stuck in the middle of negative patterns and just keep doing it and keep doing it, and we like, I don't like it, but I keep doing it, that's an addiction. And that's part of being renewed and having our, our, our brain literally washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. I, we want to be thinking new patterns. It would have been awesome 
if all the children of Israel would have been able to look up at Moses and Aaron and say, we're praying for you. We believe you. We're going to be out of here. God is true. We have not lost heart. We hear what you're saying. Be faithful. Keep talking. That would have been awesome. But it's not the way it actually went down. It would be awesome if every other believer that you ever met, when they met you, would say, hey, you, stay in the battle. God is going to deliver you. His word is faithful. You are on your way. You're headed the right way. This is, this is and I'm going to be praying for you. Be faithful. Keep doing what, it would be awesome, but not every believer does that. In fact, some believers go, what, uh, excuse me, what, what, what Bible translation are you using? Don't you know that's heresy? Like, and and it, this, this happens all the time. And, and I was just reminded this past week, as we're talking to different people coming out of the Amish, like it goes a lot further than that, where they're like, you have to wear this clothes, you have to do this, you can't do that, you have to do this. And, and, and some of the things they're asking of their people are literally what we would call sin. And yet they think well, this is a tr- tradition, so we've got to stick with it. And so what I'm hoping today on a Mother's Day, because we have beautiful flowers here, that this, you know, looking at a flower, to me, when I see a flower, when I see something blooming, it is a sign and a symbol of hope. It really is. God has given us promises. And there are times in the Bible, like after the flood and other times when he, when he talks about how the seasons are going to continue until he comes again. And it is a promise that our God has not forgotten us. So the men of the world, the pharaohs of Egypt can say, I don't love your God and I don't really care. and I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. They can say that. And in many ways, our own governor here in Colorado has said that. So even when he wants to interact with faith, people of faith, he, he doesn't care about God. He cares about a few things that are himself. And, and, and so we have, that is a reality of the world we walk in. And it doesn't matter. It does not impact our faith. Our faith is impacted by the word of God. And we will continue to be faithful to him, even if hope is deferred, even if despair seems to visit, even if we have to make the bricks and and get our own straw, it doesn't matter. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to serve Jesus because we're following the king of heaven here on earth. And there's a day when his kingdom will be established, not just in our hearts, but will be established for all to see. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. But we are right now saying, my tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My knee will bow to the high king of heaven. I'm not bowing to the gods of this world, but I'm bowing to Jesus. And that's the hope that we have. The brokenness is still here. We're still going to have to wade through that. It's okay. Our deliverance is coming. And we will experience some levels of deliverance here on earth. But there is a final deliverance coming that will be full and complete with nothing left to be desired. All the accounts in scripture of God delivering his people always leaves them still somewhere here on the earth. But it talks of the time that's coming when there will be no more deliverance necessary. And that's the final deliverance that we're looking for. But in the meantime, we experience the small levels of deliverance. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for all. Lord, I just think of the brokenness that's in the world. And for, for all of us who have good moms who have blessed us so much, and then for all of those who have been hurt by our mothers, 
And yet, Lord, you are faithful through all of that because you are trying to show us something. So thank you for this account out of, e- out of Egypt and Exodus, Lord, where we see that the gods of this world may not care about you, but your people can still hear you and we can still walk with you. So Lord, awaken hope in us. Help us to walk in hope. We love you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.